All right. Episode number two with Daniel Angel of Apex Development Group. Make sure you listen to last week's episode if you have not yet. Did you know Atlanta is the new Hollywood? Atlanta, Georgia. For real, The Walking Dead, Marvel movies, Anchorman 2, Black Panther, Godzilla, the list goes on and on and on. How is this influx and really the boom of so many other industries affecting Atlanta real estate? And if you are a travel junkie like myself, stick around to the end to hear Daniel's restaurant recommendation from Medellin, Colombia. I really had to pull it out of him. Uh, I didn't want to hurt any feelings, but he gave a spectacular recommendation. And I'm extra excited to get across the border to try it. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the Real Estate of Things podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate of Things podcast. Uh, Back to back this week, you get to see my good friend, Daniel Angel of Apex Development Group. Daniel, thank you for joining me for another episode. Hey, Dalton. Thank you again. Thanks for having me again for this second one. Absolutely. So, you know, we we unpacked a lot last week and we're going to hit the ground running here. So before we dive into a little more of the business, and I really want to spend some time talking about the Atlanta market, talk to me a little bit about a day in the life of Daniel at Apex. What, what's your, uh, yeah, what's the, what's the role? What are you responsible for there? What's it look like? <laughs> All right, uh, sure, of course. It's the, there's a lot to it. Obviously, as I told you before, it's two part. We're two business partners, and. We thankfully have a a great team with us now. So today, my role doesn't have a name, but I'm pretty much in in charge of co-leading the company with my business partner. But my day-to-day has more like the finance, structuring, and uh, investor relations, capital markets kind of thing. So corporate finance and capital markets, it's pretty much how we internally call it. And then I, I help out with the construction team also. So a uh, normal day for me would have uh, a lot of Excel, a lot of numbers and, and pretty much, uh, you know, a lot of communication with the construction team, with investors, and obviously with our accounting team for uh, reporting and, and distributions and stuff like that. Got it. Got it. It definitely, you know, knowing some of your background from the last episode, working on the private equity side, having some more institutional real estate background, that that helps give the give the structure and skills to be one of two people steering the ship of a, a relatively, you know, sizable and successful group. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously it's been, it's been a great journey from the entrepreneurial side because it's not only that to it and, and it, it's been challenging in, in a way in terms of understanding that it's not only what you do back in your desk and, and back in the office from your computer, but a lot of, you know, feeding the ground and, and out in the field in the, in the job sites with the construction team, subcontractors and everyone that has to do with, you know, the renovations or the construction part and piece. So putting all that together and, and today seeing it growing into a, you know, a solid team, both in the States and in Colombia, I don't know if you remember, but, but we do have part of our team back in Colombia, seeing how that all gets together and all the pieces getting together. Uh, it, it's been awesome. 
Yeah, I, I do remember you mentioning that, and I'm glad you brought it up. What's the split between the team in the United States and the team in Colombia? Yeah, so we don't have like a fine line. There's there's more like grays to it, and but essentially it's whoever doesn't really have to be in the States to, to do their job, uh, they'll be back in, in Colombia. So today we're about 60% Colombia, 40% in, in, in terms of headcount. 40% U.S. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that, that's a, a good balance. And uh, one of the things I love is that there's there's barely a time zone difference, right? What is it? Is it hour hour off of East? What's... It's an, right now we're same time. Uh, so whenever we're an hour ahead for, you know, like during the summer and whatnot, then we're, we're an hour ahead of them. Other than that, we're same same time zone. So yeah, that's that's great. Also, that crazy. I will put out an opinion here. That crazy, ridiculous daylight savings time that throws a wrench in everything. And then we have we have one state of the union that doesn't observe it. So you have one state that's not on Pacific time all over the place. I that's uh, we need to we need a more firm movement to get rid of that just so we can stop being so confusing and uh, <laughs> yeah no fun but it's and and I know you know I shame on me we've been to Cartagena a handful of times and as you and I were talking got to get out and about and explore Bogota Medellin so much more that we haven't which I'm I'm excited that means there's there's more fun to explore ahead but it is uh, I know at least out of Atlanta uh, I'm a you know, I fly Delta, so shout out to Delta for being a spectacular airline. And I imagine you probably fly Delta out of there. I know pre-COVID they had direct flight Atlanta to Cartagena, and it was four hours. I imagine mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty. Is it pretty painless to get down to Medellin? Yeah. So unfortunately, Delta uh, shut down the direct flight from Atlanta to Medellin, which they used to have. They still have the Atlanta Cartagena. But I mean, there's other ways you can fly, you know, via Miami or via Panama pretty easily to Medellin. Also, there's there's a, a an Atlanta Bogota also a direct flight, but but essentially it's no more than five hours. It's pretty close. Yeah, it's nice. It's so it's it's closer than I thought it was before I went there the first time. And you know, you're, you're used to European trips where best case you're eight hours on a flight overnight and massive time zone difference. And it's so nice to be able to shoot down to Colombia in four or five hours with, depending on the time of the year, no time zone difference or an hour difference. Uh, so that's great that you, uh, and you're, you're, you're there in Medellin right now, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm here uh, spending some time with family and friends for the for the holidays. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. I love it. So, so let me pick your brain a little more. We talked about your move from, which is a natural move, I think, for a lot of folks in the real estate world. You start out with SFR, your single family housing, and then you move up into more complex things. So for you, was it you and your partner? Was it you know starting with rehabs, then getting into new construction, then moving into the multifamily side of the fence and, and and rentals, and then moving into the multifamily side of the fence? Was that the progression? Yeah, but the new construction part. So we've only done uh, renovation, uh, and we we did straight flipping originally. So buying, renovating, selling, 
later on, when we started our private equity funds or like our portfolios, we got into the rental portion. We just thought that having individual properties in the SFR space with individual investors would be too risky for them because you, you don't have like the, the portfolio advantage uh, of things. So once we raised our, our two initial funds, we went into the rental portion of it. We built and stabilized a couple rental portfolios, which we are currently offloading. That will run until probably half, you know, first half of 2022. But then starting 2020, after a great opportunity that I had, I, I worked for a multifamily firm, a well-known multifamily firm in Atlanta for some time. We found that the you know multifamily could be our next step or a good way to evolve and and find like more scale more opportunities to grow and obviously understanding the asset class clearly it required us to learn more about equity raising a little bit more about financing because the, the financing groups and the opportunities vary as well as you know putting together you know packages for acquisitions and learning you know who the brokers are a lot more about the market and we did all that part early 2020 through i guess q3 of 2020 and then we finally were able to acquire our first multifamily in august 2020 that's great and and going forward multifamily is your big focus right you you're really transitioning away from the single family side of the business and really focusing on growing that multifamily. Is that right? Correct. That's where we're focusing. There's, you know, a few reasons for that. Uh, some of them being, and, and I think none of these will be new to you or to anyone else that's either an SFR or multifamily, but, you know, having a portfolio spread out throughout the city or throughout a metro area, regardless of how condensed you manage to, to keep it, it's still harder to do than, than having a multifamily. You know, the ability to transact uh, at a larger scale. So it's, I'm not going to say that the acquisition process of single family is exactly the same as multifamily. Clearly, acquiring a multifamily has more steps to it and it's a longer period. But, you know, comparing the unit size or the unit count, it's a lot more efficient in the multifamily space, right? Uh, we we never acquired portfolios in single family. So everything that we did was one by one. We grew our single family portfolio up to uh, shy of 80 properties, you know, without counting the renovations and like the flips, which are around 100 properties. But all those were like one at a time, one by one. And that that requires a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of underwriting and 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 back and forth with agents and whatnot with multifamily obviously you need to underwrite underwrite a lot of deals before you can actually pull the trigger and close on one but once you do so the unit count helps you know your volume and your scale yeah have have there been any big surprises or big lessons learned whenever you look back at moving from single family to multi or has it just been a beautiful seamless transition. <laughs> Do you want the short list or the long list? 
<laughs> we got time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, clearly, I mean, it would be naive and kind of like disrespectful for me to say that there's no, no lessons learned or no, no, you know, bumps in the road. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, but I think, you know, our background, our experience, and, and just, we've, we've been always trying to stay humble, stay, stay like focused and stay like really true to our numbers, leave our hearts out, just keep it like really number driven. And uh, that, that has helped, but clearly there's been a lot of lessons, both in the single family space and the multifamily space. But just to give you an example, once we decided to transition from single to multifamily and we kind of like drew literally on a board, we just jotted down like what, what were the things that we needed to learn before we could pull the trigger? And it was like a, I don't know, 20 item list. And, uh, <laughs> that list kept growing as we kept like checking off up to like a hundred items until we could actually pull the trigger on one. It was a small multifamily. The first one we acquired was a 25 unit deal, which we still own, not a huge deal, but it was like the deal that helped us understand what actually, what, what were we actually doing? Right. Uh, a lot of things to learn. It's been a great drive, a great experience. And we've been able to shift around everything that has come to us, including COVID, <laughs> but uh, it's been a great experience, but clearly there's a lot more to whatever you can think starting off. Yeah, that makes sense. I, uh, you and I caught up offline a bit and, you know, there's a lot of folks who, especially interestingly during COVID have taken that jump from single family to multifamily. It just seems to be a natural progression and the efficiencies that you gain Via having, you know, 25 units, would you rather have 25 units in one building versus 25 units scattered throughout an entire city? Like there's, there is a significant inefficiency there on the the single family side of the fence that the multifamily side helps out. And of course you have, you know, it's not as simple of a, of an equation as that, but boiling it down, there are some great efficiency gains that you have there. And no, no surprise to hear that, even even on you know on, on my day job side of the fence at Lima One, we when I came to the firm in 2015, we were just doing single family, right? We did uh, rehabs and we had just started lending on rental properties, and it wasn't until early 2017, I think January 2017, that we launched a multifamily product, and my head was spinning because. The difference in terminology, the difference in analysis, you know, whenever you're looking at a multifamily project, or rather when you're looking at a single family home, a single family home, you're not necessarily diving deep into employment data, not a lot of those questions to be asked. On the multifamily side of the fence, that becomes a bigger thing. Like, are there, you know, is it near a military base? Is there kind of a university nearby? How is our businesses? leaving the area? Do you have any new uh, businesses coming in? And I think that's a, a great segue into what I want to spend the last part of our conversation talking about, which is a deep dive into the Atlanta market. Um, stealing some of this from your deck and not a pure off the top of the head knowledge, but you know Atlanta, uh, it's top 10 in largest economies in the US. It's one of the largest economies in the world in and of itself, right? You have 
almost six figure net migration into the state, uh, or I'm sorry, into kind of the Atlanta Metro a year, you have really business friendly, uh, kind of the Hollywood of the East and really becoming Hollywood 2.0. Right. Uh, You look at, uh, I'm, uh, shocked used to be shocked but now it's like a routine thing all the marvel movies are made there the walking dead was made there like you go down the list of movies atlanta has just set themselves up for incredible growth around an industry that otherwise wasn't really present in atlanta not really present in the southeast uh and then you have you know, keep on going down the list. You have my favorite airport in the world. My mom hates it, but I love it. It's incredibly efficient. <laughs> Hartsfield Jackson, you know, piece of cake, favorite airport food in the world. Uh, and then you go down the list. You have Salesforce there. You have Amazon and Microsoft continuing to make uh, pretty big investments there. So Atlanta ticks the box on booming growth from an employment standpoint, from a people standpoint. And you can see this is, is going to be sustained growth. It's really the tip of the iceberg that we're at right now. And it's it's super exciting. You know, I'm two and a half hours away from Atlanta, but I have a lot of uh, close friends and colleagues who are in Atlanta, work, live, work, invest in Atlanta. And how would you sum up the Atlanta metro market right now and what are you kind of reading the tea leaves on down the road what are the what's hot is there anything that's going to cool off just give me your rundown of atlanta of course uh and and i think you've mentioned uh a few key parts to to our analysis also um i i had the opportunity to live in atlanta before the big crash so i lived while i was going to school from 02 to 06 And, uh, you know, seeing what Atlanta is when I came, what it was when I came back in 2015, which uh, coincidentally, it's kind of like the year where you you joined Lima One Mm -hmm. uh, and when we started investing, what we basically saw back then, and we we constantly go back to kind of like do the checks and balances to make sure that that it's still the case. We feel that post the big crash, Atlanta has been doing a very good job at uh, attracting different kind of industries, right? Originally, you would you would see three, four, five big companies and then like very industrial driven company, blue collar, and, and pretty much that was it to Atlanta, right? Right now, as you were mentioning, you know, Hollywood 2.0, you also have a lot of the financial companies down here, not, not, not necessarily you know, headquarters, because most of them are up in New York or in Chicago, but you, you see big offices down here for the insurance companies, financial uh, companies, you know, banks, uh, you know, corporate banking, investment banking, which at the end of the day, drive a lot more aspects to the economy than only the industrial part, right? Uh, So once you start seeing that different types of industries come into the company, into the area or into the city in this case, we feel that it makes that base or those fundamentals a lot more solid, right? And one of our drivers have been, you know, let's stay at least for a few years in one single market, you know, that's where we live also, thankfully. And let's make sure it's a primary market, you know, in a primary market, you have a lot more levers to move around to work with whatever assets you have or you own 
rather than going to a secondary or thir- third tertiary market where things get a little bit a little bit more lean, right? Mm-hmm. So that's ba- like our analysis goes back there, and then just to continue with our analysis with Atlanta, we just feel you know the you know having a yearly ninety to hundred thousand people coming in different industries you know, the expansion, construction, you, you just feel everything like actually happening. So we just feel very comfortable with those fundamentals. And and, and that's pretty much where, where, where we'll stick for, for a while. Is there a particular asset class that is kind of outperforming or you feel like is going to outperform? Is it the multifamily side of the fence that you're most bullish on? Yeah. So I mean, for Apex, uh, the residential market is that's where we'll stick for now. We, we do value and believe in being specific and like, uh, specialized. So we, we decided on multifamily. We feel more than outperforming because I, I think there's, a, there's another asset or another couple asset classes that are doing really well including like industrial like warehouses and and self storage also but we believe in sticking to our roots and believe in like being uh, specialized in what we know that doesn't mean we won't look into other asset classes down the road probably we will uh, but at least for now we want to build a a solid structure around multifamily yeah and just on our short conversation here about the Atlanta Metro, it, it in my mind, it is hard, you know, having a at least a superficial and in some, you know, in the bigger metros, a deeper understanding of markets throughout the country uh, by virtue of kind of the day job at Lima. It's hard in my mind to find a market maybe more attractive and in many cases as attractive as Atlanta. There's, there's so much going for it. And it, it, is it the growth and the, the industry's booming new industry coming in? Does it feel like that was a, an out of left field thing? And one day you were like, geez, this is, this is exploding. Or has it been kind of a measured over the last six years You've just felt a gradual uptick. Well, I think that's a great point, and and although the pat the last twelve months, I think there has been like a spike. I do believe one of the big things for Atlanta has been the gradual growth, rather than just like a huge growth, like you've seen, like we all have seen in L.A., Miami, you know, New York, and whatnot. You know, and just to give you an example, my my business partner Daniel Gonzalez, which by the way, he, his name is also Daniel. He used to live in Miami. And when we met in 2016, uh, one of his bigger challenges was the, I don't know if it's uncertainty, but like how hard it was to predict or, or, or analyze in a market where you see more spikes. Obviously there's growth, but there's more spikes. So there's like, we think like more opportunities to mess it up rather than in a, in a market where things go a little bit more gradual, but are going, I think a little bit more in a more predictable way. I would cut out the last 12 months where I think it's been just a little bit nonsense for everyone. But other than that, that, that would be kind of like the picture I would draw for, for the Atlanta market. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds spot on. And it feels like, you know, 
tough to peg something or tough to peg a place as recession proof, but as, you know, as, as stable and as it seems like you can get a, get more confidence in that medium and long-term in a market like Atlanta, like you said, because you don't have a roller coaster, you have steady growth. And that's something that personally from an investment standpoint is just exponentially more attractive. I know some people love the the adrenaline junkie rush on the dollar standpoint. I I like scuba diving. I like mountain biking. That's where I'll get my thrill. I no longer like getting my thrill gambling with the dollars on the roller coaster. Dollars. <laughs> it, uh, it, it makes me sick. So I sleep better at night with, uh, with index funds as opposed to big ups and downs. And uh, yeah, it did... It seems like if you're going to put your chips on a market, you would be hard pressed to to do better than the beautiful metro of Atlanta. Yeah, absolutely. And nothing against, you know, liking the roller coaster or the spikes of the market and whatnot. I mean, obviously, there's investors for every type of asset and every type of investment. We just feel like targeting a little bit more conservative. I mean, sometimes it's called like the boring asset class because, you know, in multifamily, you know, it's a lot more stable and a lot easier especially if you stay like within like the c class b minus class or asset class where we tend to to stay we just feel security is better in this industry and then it's our job to find where to add value right and that's where everything else that we spoke about in the first episode you know tends to to fall into place and make sense so it's it's my job to offer our investors a stable asset and then also my job to, to add value wherever I can find it without putting a lot to risk. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, there are all different assets to satiate all different appetites, right? And and adding on layers of complexity vis-a-vis different markets. And yeah, there, there's something out there for everyone. And I just personally tend to favor... Uh, your strategy and the strategy of Apex compared to uh, some others. So I love it. And I'm going to end by putting you on the rack and uh, and doing a little torture question here. This may be the, the, the toughest, most unpleasant question. And uh, I hope I don't put you in a tough spot. But knowing that I absolutely <laughs> love Colombia, knowing that Medellin is, uh, is high on the list whenever, uh, you know, whenever we can get back down get down there for the first time to Medellin, the last and perhaps most important question, what is your top restaurant recommendation in Medellin? Where do I go? Where do I go? <laughs> Point me. <laughs> oh man, that's a hard one. There's a lot there. I mean, as you've experienced when you, when you went to Cartagena, uh, there's a lot of good restaurants, same here in Medellin. But like for for Colombian food, which I believe is is where your uh, question is geared towards, I would say Ato Viejo for sure. Give me give me the pitch. Give me the thirty <laughs> second pitch. I'm writing it down so I don't forget. <laughs> no, that's so you spell it H A T O V I E J O, and uh, you'll find like great Colombian food, like traditional food, which which uh, you'll definitely love. It's a very picturesque ambiance so you'll you'll love it i'm sure now question for you is when will you visit <laughs> oh i potentially q3 ish 
nice. maybe maybe even over the summer we have we're finally getting back to the travel bug so i had a bunch of work travel at the end of 2021 and then we have hawaii for a wedding a friend's wedding which we rolled into a trip and a, a couple of trips uh the first half of the year so the back half of the year is looking empty and begging to be filled up with it. But I I promise I will try my best to coordinate schedules with you. I would love nothing more than to break bread with you in Medellin, my friend. Oh, please, let's do it. Uh, happy to, yeah, let's share calendars and let's try to make it happen and, and welcome down here for sure. I love it. I love it. I cannot thank you enough, uh, especially for doing two weeks back to back with me. It has been a blast and we'll have to get you back on here soon for a catch up episode. Same here, Dalton. Thank you so much for, for you having us and having me. Uh, it's been great too. And happy to do that catch up later on. Uh, happy to share thoughts. Thank you so much, man. Love it. Thank you, Daniel. And thanks to everyone for listening. Take care. Are you a real estate investor looking for the right lender that can finance all your deals and help you scale? Lima One Capital has the best suite of loan products in the industry bar none. Whether that's fix and flips, fix and holds, building new construction, or buying rental properties, they have incredible financing solutions for it all. A reliable common sense lender is one of the most important parts of your investment team. And that's exactly what you get with Lima One. Let Lima One Capital show you how they've helped thousands of real estate investors scale and increase their wealth. Check out LimaOne.com or call 800-259-0595 to speak with a consultant in preparation for your next project. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate of Things podcast. Subscribe and tune in weekly for new content from the industry's best while we continue to unpack the nuances of this dynamic market. Follow us across social media for additional insights and analysis on the topics covered in each episode. And remember to rate, review, and share the show.